It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey folks, it's October. So uh, what are we going to do? We're just a couple of nice kids from Boston. All right. Me, the kahuna, my dad, right? It's KP Burke, guys. We're all from Boston. At least we are for this episode. (laughs) There you go. We're going to go ahead and drink something particular here. We're going to have a drink on the show. We haven't done that in quite some time. Um, We're going to drink a Sam Adams. So cheers to you, fellas. My name's KP Burke. The show's called American Loser, and you're already members of the Founding Losers. So if you're having a drink with us too, then cheers. You know, clink. We'll do it like that. We're drinking. What are we drinking today, Dad? Brewer Patriot Samuel Adams Oktoberfest. Oh, is that for- Hearty and smooth. Oh, just like me. That's a- <laughs> here's, what, here's what we're going to do. We all flick the bottle at the same time. There you right. go. One, Ready? Two, two, three. Hey, yeah. why did that work? <laughs> uh, the wizard behind the ones and twos, our boy, the big kahuna. You know him. You love him. All right. What's going on, man? Oh, we're do- it's a good one today, buddy. It's Patreon exclusive. This is Founding Losers only. I want to welcome a couple of people of Founding Losers. Um, we always get some people that join up. We get some people that return to the show. I'm always happy about that part. Um, I probably shouldn't mention everybody that joined up, but real quick, just the two that jumped out of me. Uh, my girl, Chelsea, joined up. Uh, she listened to me over on Real Ass Podcast at Gas Digital Studio. And she listens to our show to help fall asleep at night. And I said, that sounds like an insult. (laughs) And then she said, no, I find you and your father's voices very soothing. And then I said, but what about the subject matter? And she goes, oh, I listen to serial killer stuff to go to bed at night. (laughs) So Albert Fish was a lullaby to her. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, also uh, Janine Friel joined up over on the Patreon too. I want to say thank you so much to her. I've known her for years. Uh, Adore her and her entire family, by the way. Um, I'll, I'll lie and I'll say that I helped teach her son to swim at Camp Lewis. <laughs> All right. And uh, when he was a kid there, he was running around. His nickname was Minnie Burke at uh, camp because he was always uh, messing around. They were doing skits where he'd be playing me in a skit or something like that. <laughs> so just good people. But uh, it is the October exclusive, folks. And we promised you this. We told you this ahead of time. Yeah, we gave you the four the four uh, clue there. And Kahuna was upset because he doesn't normally like knowing the episode no, topic like beforehand. To I don't. Boy. It was weird. It was super weird. (laughs) Well, here's why I think this is perfect. Everyone knows this guy, but not everybody knows the story. Is that fair to say, Dad? I feel like that's fair to say. Yeah, you might have heard heard the name or confused his name with another name, similar name, second cousin, but anyhow. Yeah, he's got a a cousin that winds up being more famous than him in the long run, but he does get a nice beer named after him. Absolutely. So, born in 1722, dead by 1803, and all he got was this lousy new country he dreamed up. (laughs) Sam Adams is considered by historians to be the true, quote, man of the revolution, end quote. But as we're going to discover today, depending on who you're talking to, that's not necessarily a compliment. Yeah. That might be a thing like, like think about this, Cahoons, if you will. If you wanted to brag about the revolution, you would sit there and you'd be like, so let's say, you're, let's say your team wins um, the World Series, right? And you're like, this guy was the centerpiece of the entire championship team here. Then you find out there was some cheating going on or something like that. And he's like, mm-hmm. that guy was in charge of everything for that. Like that's, so depending on who you want to blame things on or give credit for, 
That's where our boy Sam Adams comes in today. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two camps for uh, Samuel Adams. Uh, he's a good guy or he was just a, a rabble rouser, uh, you know, instigator kind of a thing. Well, as I promoted on uh, our, the Facebook uh, post that I did prior to us recording this episode, which we better live up to the hype because I sold it pretty good. <laughs> um, he is uh, essentially, imagine a New England Patriots tailgate gone awry. All right. He's a little bit of a drunk uncle and he's also part fight club doing a Project Mayhem thing. He's pretty great. <laughs> you broke the first rule, KP. It's a, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Nah, sure you don't. <laughs> also, I just got to point something out. When did you say he was born? 1722? I have 1722. Died 03? This dude lived a long time for someone in this time. For back in the day, yes, yeah. sir. This it's a good run. Damn. Absolutely a good run. He is, uh, he, it's, it's a pretty good run and it's always eventful too. We chose him for a Patreon episode because we knew we'd wind up running a little bit over time here, and the founding losers actually deserve it because the show does not exist without you. But we're going to try to be uh, expeditious as we uh, edify Oof. the good people here. My brain hurts. Our expeditious compatriots. and edify. <laughs> I don't like them big book words. Damn, college credits went somewhere. Yeah, we're going to like talk about a lot of shit, but we're going to like do it real quick. You know what I'm saying, kid? <laughs> <laughs> So, like I said, he is a, a, a wild guy here. Sam Adams is a hero to some, a scapegoat to others, a fiery traitor to those who his words and deeds did harm to. This melting pot of characteristics makes one thing undeniable, though. Sam Adams, he's American, baby. <laughs> he, he's uh, an American? Okay. All he's, right, we're on the right track. He's pretty fascinating, man. You'll, uh, th there's plenty of loser fodder here to go. Uh, good old Sammy was born, and you want to guess what colony, Kahuna? I okay. think you know. Well, I was looking at the Wikipedia, but I didn't see that. So I'm going to just take a wild guess. Boston, Massachusetts. Yes. Uh, also, he's from the state of Chicago, city of Illinois. Um, Fuck off. <laughs> state of Chicago, city of Illinois. I do it all the time, man. Don't worry about it. But Sam is born. You're correct in the- uh, Aforementioned. The well, it's a British colony known as Massachusetts at this time. And Sam's going to come from a household full of religiously and politically active folks- his father, very original name scheme in the family here, uh, Sam Sr. Okay. Yeah, Samuel Adams Sr. Indeed. He is a wealthy merchant and a uh, church deacon. And that's kind of a big deal in this community here because the Adams, of course, are of the Puritan faith. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's going to come up a few times. <laughs> I tried to write it out. Though. He's uh, uh, he's hardy and here to party. He's revolutionary and naughty. <laughs> um I tried writing it last night. It didn't go so great. <laughs> you should have just called me. I would have had a whole theme song ready. Uh, there's time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a little thing within the Puritan faith. I thought this was a good way. If you're not familiar with the Puritan faith, they had a funky little thing to kind of summarize their beliefs known as a tulip. Okay. T-U-L-I-P. You ready for this, LP? Yeah, I'm ready. Tulip means total depravity, meaning that all man is considered capable of great sin. Doesn't matter who you are, you can pull off the worst shit ever. Right. Okay. You want to pull a cane and murder your brother, kind of a thing. Um, it, you're absolutely capable of it. So humans can do anything in the realm of evil. Hmm. Unconditional election to be saved was not your choice. It was God's choice. You can say, "Oh, I want to be saved," but if God's not coming for you, He's not. It was God's decision. That's why you are the chosen of this group. All right. The L stands for limited atonement. Jesus died for the sins of some, not all. So he died for the, the the contract is written between man and God via Christ dying for your sins. 
but uh, we're not going to forgive you blankly for everything. You've still got to pay the piper for some shit. Not everybody gets a free ride. Yeah. You're going to hold your feet to the fire if you're messing around here, man. So that's the L in your tulip here. So we still have an I and a P. Mm -hmm. I standing for irresistible grace, meaning that uh, when God calls on you, you cannot deny him. It's not possible. If God calls to you, it's this overwhelming feeling you have. I've been touched by the anointed one. I am the anointed one for, for Christ's sake. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. For um, sake. <laughs> but that means you cannot deny him, right? And then finally, the perseverance of the saints, meaning that it is not possible to stray from the path of God once he has chosen you. So that kind of goes into that idea of uh, God only gives his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers kind of a thing. If life's not going your way and it seems terrible, God has not abandoned you. God is testing you and your your goal, your duty is to persevere because you are not straying from the path of God. This is just the path that he's already laid out for you. Right. Those lyrics don't really fit into the Beach Boys song like I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a tough life though, man, this, this Puritan thing. And we're still feeling a lot of that um, in the country to this day. A lot of the things we're founded upon are based off of some of these beliefs here. A major value of the Puritans would be virtue. Right. What does that mean, Dad? Virtuous to be to be virtuous, and and the Puritan faith too. Um, did you just define the word by I using did. the word? I did. <laughs> it means moral <laughs> excellence, folks. There you go. All right. Um, again, I'm not a language arts major uh, like some of us in the room right now. I was uh, too busy making shit, Ooh. making sawdust. But uh, anyhow. He just, um, did he just, it, we shouldn't that's really. That's a bitch slap for you folks that didn't hear it. He, <laughs> he just put all KP back in this place with his creative writing degree. There you go. <laughs> I tried welding. Yeah. Um, I think we should keep in mind too that the, the, the Puritan faith, uh, many of them came to um, the colonies because of the uh, persecution that they were facing back home in, in, in England that, uh, you know, England, uh, there is a lot of religious strife. There's a lot of strife based on on religions. I mean, back and forth with uh, who happens to be a Catholic king, who's a Protestant king. Uh, Henry VIII wants a, a divorce, so he goes to Rome to seek a divorce from his first wife, and uh, the Pope denies it. So he says, well, screw you. I'm going to start my own religion. So he starts the Church of England. And the Puritans really were objected to um, the way things were going within the Church of England and thought that they really should realign themselves, if you will, straighten, straighten themselves out and get away from the way the Church of England was going. But, you know, people were getting their heads cut off and, uh, and slaughtered because, uh, oh, you happen to be the wrong faith. Uh, you know, we're all Christians, yeah, but uh, that's the wrong Christian to faith. To quote the, uh, the immortal uh, George Carlin, do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe in my God? No. Well, Off with your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, the point I'm trying to make is that um, the Adams uh, family and – He can't help it. He's about to snap his fingers. I, 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 I resisted. <laughs> He's on and it was, you, He's on KP saw me die a little yeah, when yeah. I stopped. But uh, what was interesting too with the Puritans is that when they came over to the colonies, they – typically came over as a family. I mean, the, the tight family bond was uh, very much in, important to them that uh, it wasn't just, well, the young bachelors will send them over and see if they can carve something out of the wilderness and, and then uh, they'll 
send home, you know, send back for the rest of the family. They they were in it, you know, lock, stock, and barrel. Everybody was in in with wife, the kids, the, everybody. Um, so you know, they were um, uh, willing to risk risk it all for for their beliefs. Well, that's a, a nice way of putting it, I'd say. Yeah. Well. <laughs> But it is the predominant uh, religion, if you will, of this particular section, you know, known as Boston within this within Massachusetts the, the, colony. Right, the colony of Massachusetts. Oh yeah, and they're uh, they're a wild group. They're very entertaining here, and a lot of a uh, lot of good debate. A lot of a uh, lot of they're, they're reading a lot of philosophy and stuff like that, which is pretty cool about them. Um, and of course, Sam Senior, very politically active guy in his own community here. So uh, his father's becoming quite popular within a popular party, pun intended. Of Massachusetts politics, this group tended towards the idea that while the colony was ruled under the crown, that the rules and circumstances were different enough on this side of the Atlantic that the Commonwealth should probably come first. Right. Have, it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing. Where it's, it's, like, it's yeah, it's more local elections rather than uh, their representative back home in, in Parliament in England. That, ain't nothing to swear allegiance to the crown to if this shit doesn't work over here. You right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> and again, that goes to the independent nature nature of the uh, of the colonials, if you will. That uh, somebody home in in, in London is not going to be able to help me out on the on the frontier or on the wilderness uh, here in, uh, known as uh, Massachusetts uh, Bay Colony type oh, thing. We're so. going to find out even more as we go, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Sam will attend Harvard though because he's a stereotype. He begins <laughs> uh, studying there while he was working as a janitor and solving math <laughs> equations in a hallway that go. no one else could finish. So it's a true story. <laughs> Did he like them apples? <laughs> yeah. The uh, family hoped he would pursue a career in the ministry. They were hoping that he'd follow in his father's footsteps and go the religious route here. Uh, but his interest was already firmly set in politics. So he does follow his father's footsteps, but in the political aspect, not the religious one. Yeah. And, and to that point, I mean, his father was uh, politically active, but again, it was really centered, I think, in and around the church itself that the church was a very strong central pull on on the entire community type of thing. Everybody's rallying around the, the church. The meeting halls uh, were some of the largest buildings within uh, within Boston is where people would go on uh, on their Sabbath. And, uh, oh, it, it would be weird if you were not in church on a Sunday. Right. That would be peculiar. So, <laughs> But now you have this large population, if you will, that are all like-minded or at least can be persuaded – persuaded to be like-minded um, towards a certain political aspect or political view. And yeah, he was, uh, his dad was very much uh, involved with the uh, the popular vote, if you will, the the, the, uh, the common the common folk. The people that are going to become known as the Whigs down the road, right? which I thought was worth noting. So um, he's got a pretty great quote you and I talked about in our prep for this episode in uh, Sam Adams' actual master's thesis. He echoes some of his father's feelings that he'd been exposed to his entire life. Uh, it's a pretty good quote here. Uh, do you have that one off the top of your head, Dad? Uh, I know what it is. Go ahead. Religion. It's creepy, kooky, mysterious, <laughs> <and> spooky. <laughs> I thought you were going back to Goodwill. <laughs> um, so I have a quote here for you, LP. Don't, don't sweat nothing, all right? All right. Uh, it is lawful to resist the magistrate if the Commonwealth cannot be otherwise uh, preserved. So that's him saying like, listen – uh, fuck your laws. If foods like if we're in trouble here, the last thing we care about is that crown three thousand miles away. That we got to handle. Even our, come here. 
Correct. We got that's always a great fact, right? That no monarch ever visited during the uh, the the, <laughs> the reign of the British Empire. Yeah, his thesis at Harvard was um, really based on the lawfulness, how it is lawful to resist British rule. That you know, never mind what the what the crown is telling you. That the, the reality of the situation is here on these shores, not you know a thousand miles away. In, in uh, oh, over there's going to be. That's why he, this guy kind of writes the book, uh, the first American book on civil disobedience. It's pretty great. So, um, in short, what he's trying to say is like we're cool, but if you get in the way of me handling my own shit, I mean, I, you gotta you gotta go away for a little bit. You're not as important. My hierarchy of needs is self. Then you know. So what you're Sovereignty. saying is he's the first hip hop artist. Yeah, uh, well, I I think we made a pretty good and compelling argument in another Fight episode the power. that the first guy who was at, and there will be a loserception to him in here. The first guy is a uh, uh, Thomas Paine, and the mixtape that changed the world, a book called Common Sense. <laughs> Although Samuel Adams was noted for being a, a very good uh, singer, a very good singing voice, because again at the church meetings and stuff, he would oftentimes sing the psalms and and the. Uh, the, the prayers, if you will. So uh, hang on, commanding presence, compelling voice. Yeah, church going man, leader of the people, a common man, someone yeah. worth following. Yeah, that Who, sounds like KP Park, shop, shop teacher from New Jersey, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mustachioed fella, yeah. adopted kid, <laughs> two adopted kids. Well, here you already have a young Sam Adams that has some certain feelings about the whole way the British Empire and its loyalists handle business in America. And one great example here, you want to talk about something that's in a moment, if you were to write the screenplay of this kahuna, this would be a big integral moment in the character development of Sam Adams. There's a banking scandal that will plague his father and the entire family in its entirety. Okay, There's a massive and the rock means massive currency shortage in 1739. It is kind of confusing to read about, but in short, if I'm right, and let's be clear, I'm not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I did read, though, the popular make no mistake, though. we make mistakes. <laughs> uh, well, the popular solution to this currency shortage was to create a land bank. The land bank would print paper currency to borrowers who could then use their land as the security to back right. the currency as collateral to the to the right? paper money. So instead of precious metals, you are basing it off of precious right. land. Coin okay. money at the time, you know, you were talking hard coin. That uh, you weren't talking paper money because there was really nothing to back up paper money. So, one Samuel Adams Senior devised this plan of this this banking institution, if you will, that we're going to issue paper money and it's going to be backed by the uh, the collateral of somebody's property, which is great for the little guy for the. For the small farmer, oh, almost like free silver, right? right? Now he's got, yeah, <laughs> now he's got some, uh, now he's got some uh, money to, um, you know, to, to purchase goods and materials with. Well, there's a group known as the Court Party, and they're going to kind of be the people that are loyal to the monarchy, if you will. So the Court Party, like, like these are the king's folk, yeah, that kind of a deal. So uh, blue bloods, aristocrats, if you will, and the Court Party will actually use their power to force the dissolution of the land bank. And once that is forced, you know, that, that literally that's a decree by the crown. Uh, Sam Adams Sr. is one of the many held liable for the debts incurred by the bank once the crown washed their hands of it. Yeah, said differently, the haves forced the, forced their hand, forced the play into uh, 
um, doing away with the have-nots. Oh, yeah, and so, left old Sam Sr. holding the bag. Sam Sr. is now holding the bag because he's the guy that was actually oh, uh, large and in charge and of issuing, issuing this, this currency. So Not high and dry, but it's definitely something that plagues their entire name for uh, quite some time. Sam actually has to deal with it a bunch during his own life here. Um, uh. And it does teach Sam as a constant reminder of just how powerful and often how criminal uh, the crown, which is, mind you, 3,000 miles away, uh, very well could be. So post-education, Sam will go into business just like his father. Only thing is that, uh, what, Dad? He kind of sucks at it. Yeah, he's not a real good <laughs> businessman. At no, no point in his life is he ever described as knowing how to make money nor being interested in doing so. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, his father was pretty well-to-do. I mean, uh, he was a, a prominent local merchant. A religious deacon. I mean, he was thought of highly within uh, within his uh, among his peers, if you will. Um, and when he dies, uh, Sam Junior, Sam Adams, that um, he inherits the family business. One of which was uh, malted barley. Um, yeah. So um, Sam Samuel Adams, the one that we know, that one that we're celebrating here with a. Hearty and smooth Oktoberfest beer. One of the very best um, Oktoberfest too, <laughs> mind you. Um, yeah, he did. Uh, you know, a lot of people th um, think that well, he was a brewer. He wasn't really a brewer, but he was a uh, a, a malter. So that uh, he was uh, influential or would provide the necessary ingredients to make uh, make a good brew. Yeah, he didn't work at the bar, but he cleaned the beer lines. You know, <laughs> <There> you <go>. <laughs> inside <laughs> jokes. There you go. <laughs> Inside baseball people. So while Sam never actually did work as a brewer, though, uh, his namesake sponsors do make a hell of a beer. So um, now this guy's around beer, politics, and money. And since there's no podcast back then, of course, what's he going to do other than get into the newspaper racket? Yeah, well, he gets into the newspaper racket, but uh, he's also taking it to the people uh, one one tavern or one pub at a time. I mean, the, the pub or the, the tavern was... The meeting place. I mean, if you you weren't in church, you were probably uh, in the tavern. To more of a socialization thing, or the pub uh, um, as a social thing. That's where you're going. There was yeah, no. This is pre Hulu. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Nothing on TV tonight. Nah, let's go down to the pub. But um, yeah, so he. You want to say what his nickname was, or you want to save well, that for later? No, uh, we can get into that now. I mean, later on, it's his pretty good nickname. <laughs> yeah, his his. Um, his naysayers, those that were opposed to uh, Samuel Adams, actually gave him uh, the nickname of Sam Adams the Publican. He wasn't a Republican, the, no, meaning the Republic. He was a publican, so he was uh, hanging out pubs all the time. Hanging out pubs all the time. <laughs> so that's that's your leader, some guy that's uh, you know. And again, that again, the, the naysayers, his his critics would try to paint him in a negative light. And if he's some guy that's going from, you know, doing a pub crawl every night, uh, knocking back a few with the, the low lifes, um, the working stiffs, I mean, is that the guy you really want to have as, a, as your leader? So, you know, it's snooty looking down your nose at, at people kind of a thing. I want him to walk back into the, the tavern like the next day and they're just sitting there like, hey, it's the guy who thinks we can be our own country one day. What an asshole. <laughs> you remember any of that? No, I didn't. I didn't say any of that. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. But. 1748 now, just for to, to give a, a year, uh, time and a place for this. Adams gets involved with a paper that will help to express the ideas of a philosopher by the name of John Locke. You ever watch Lost, Cahoons? 
Yeah. Well, not fully, but I, the name. Yeah. Uh, one of the major characters is John Locke, arguably the best character. Oh, okay. um, and he is heavily based off of the English philosopher. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in uh, Lost. But um, he's trying to take this uh, English philosopher's thoughts and, you know, uh, uh, little nuggets of information here and apply that to the American situation. Locke, for those who don't know, is arguably the most profound philosopher of all time. His works echoed from his heyday in the 1600s until literally this very moment and henceforth, Locke is considered the father of liberalism. Uh, to be clear, that doesn't mean modern politics. Uh, Locke's work in the hands of a good and orderly revolution could do wonderful things in the world, i.e. the American Revolution. However, in the wrong hands, his works could be used for true evil, i.e. the reign of terror, although the, uh, the French Revolution was more influenced by Rousseau, but uh, hilariously enough, Rousseau was a major ardent reader of Locke. So that's more chicken versus the egg shit. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, John Locke was a heavy uh, influence on the writers of the Declaration of Independence and a lot of other famous uh, documents oh, yeah. that started our country. I mean, Jefferson was influenced, all those guys. Uh, they were all well-educated men, and uh, um, John Locke was uh, – everybody of the time you had to have to be familiar with – uh, Locke's philosophies, whether you agreed with them or not, is another question. But of course, uh, even if you don't agree with them, you're still going to be influenced by them. Yeah, that was. Uh, it, it's hard to, especially with philosophy, everybody's influenced by somebody else. The same way where we would listen to Lenny Bruce now and consider it kind of tame and maybe even hacky or not funny. But back in the day, that was the the righteous stuff that was going to inspire Pryor and Carlin, who you know, in about a hundred years, are going to be considered lame and boring. Right, right. And we're going to be talking about yeah. Right. <laughs> There's only one immortal, and his name is Norm Macdonald. Um, <laughs> Sammy's paper, by the way, very very well read. So he's got a nice little blog following here. He's doing good on Patreon. Yeah, but he's doing it also uh, anonymously. That he's not signing at his times. name. Sam, at times, he's not signing. He's his got name. a couple of different names. Right, a couple of different names. Um, That's why Thomas Paine was so cool because he just put it out there. But again, I think once once again, if you uh, can kind of control the media, um, people are going to be swayed by that. On um, this, the most predominant paper that he got involved with was the uh, Boston Gazette, and had a pretty uh, pretty good circulation uh, for the Times, and uh, the publishers um, were close friends of his that are going to come into play in a, in a couple more years too. Oh, it's a, it's a good, good foreshadowing. Yeah, here. he's putting he's putting out the uh, on the opinion page if you will. Um, you know, different different ideas that uh, are how do we say politely controversial uh, to many, <laughs> all right? Well, he's a, a fascinating guy already and unfortunately his father passes away in 1748, one year after seeing his son begin to hold political offices in Boston as he had. So Sam is now in charge of the family affairs and with a wife of his own to support now. This uh, political career, it better pay off. I got mouths to feed. Luckily, by 1756, Sammy was, somewhat ironically, elected tax collector. Local taxes. Local taxes. Local taxes, yeah. Right. How do you um, – now, Kahuna, if you were uh, a tax collector, what would be the way to make yourself a popular tax collector? You ask an impossible question. <laughs> I'm gonna There's go only so far that this cheery disposition can take me. <laughs> I think the best way to be uh, like a job like that, the same way like if you're stuck being a hallway monitor or any sort of a job like that, 
Um, yeah, but it's fun being a hallway monitor. Yeah, but you just you'd be bad at your job. Yeah, That's, exactly. So what you do you can't think, be bad at this? What do you think Sam did? He was bad at this. He was intentionally bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, times were tough, and he let people slide. Uh, you know that uh, he wasn't collecting the the full amount that was due the government and. Uh, Hey, that's going to make you a bud to a lot of people, but uh, at the same time, oh, tax collectors coming. Oh, I actually like that guy; he's a pretty good dude. Yeah, let's sit down and have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys? What are you guys pouring over there? Malt from my place. Um, he often does uh, fail to collect these taxes, but that's only going to make him more um, popular. Unfortunately, he will be uh, eventually held liable for the missing cash, which is funny. Um, that position does pay a small salary, but tragedy will strike. Uh, it's very sad here. Uh, Sam's first wife will pass away during childbirth. He does have two kids that I believe live to adulthood. Um, tough, tough times back then in terms of uh, infant mortality and stuff. But on top of that, his lack of tax collection will paint a bullseye on his back from his political enemies. Sam was to be held accountable for the money's owed. However, Sam is so well liked that a bunch of his friends got together and paid off a large amount of what he owed. And then a town meeting was held and they said, well, he still owes this much money. They're like, eh, we're just going to write that off. It's Sam Adams, dude. He's pretty cool. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's a Let good him, guy. Yeah, man. What are we going to do? Bankrupt the maltster? No malt, <laughs> no beer. No beer, no tavern, no that's, baseball season. <laughs> that's right. That, that's pretty damn wholesome. That's pretty yeah. – that's that's oh, unusual. Yeah. It, now, it, as We a, always hear the worst on this <laughs> show. The polar opposite. But the fact that everybody was like, all right, man. Yeah, Sam, but, Sam lost his kid. Like – Come on. And his wife. Well, I mean, he's just such a – well, his wife um, passes away, of, like we said here too. And then – but this is just because everybody likes Sam Adams. He's just a man about to – this is a con- – by the way, Boston's a great, great town. Um, great comedy fans and stuff like that. I hate their sports teams, but that's what that is. Um, <laughs> actually, I admire the Patriots. But uh, Hey, uh, Lawrence Patrick, do me a favor. Yes, sir. Turn your fucking phone off. Wow. <laughs> I did. Uh, oh, good, man. Uh, like we said here, uh, this position is uh, – it's something that he's still holding here. But it's amusing to me that uh, Sam is so well-liked by these friends. It, they've only made this future founding father more powerful than you could possibly imagine by bailing him out of this position here. Adams is now a widely known figure in Boston and Massachusetts alike. He's actually never left Massachusetts. More on that in a second. Um, he'll begin the fight of his life shortly after the British declare victory in the French and Indian War. Cahoons, what do you know about the French and Indian War off the top of your head? Don't don't quiz me right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually handling tech stuff. That's why I just wanted to give him a panic move. But uh, no, French and Indian War, you guys already know. We're playing to the, uh, the founding losers here. This is an educated uh, well, massive. Absolutely. They know about this stuff. So they know the deal. The war is uh, largely fought in North America, okay? And the British are sending troops and supplies and money over here, but then the Americans are also fighting the war themselves. So yeah, now, I mean, in the oh, back over in Europe, it's known as the Seven Years' War, but here in, on this continent, it's the French and Indian War. So, oh yeah, so uh, very it, expensive to the British government. So. And their solution for all the uh, money that they threw out is, well, hey, let's tax that prosperous little colony of ours over there. You know, we're going to directly tax them. Uh, and it, I mean, after all, that's where most of the fighting took place anyway. Without getting into the painstaking recap of the American Revolution buildup, here's what you guys need to know. We're going to move this forward. Because LP's got some, oh boy, does he have some shit for you. <laughs> Americans are getting taxed by a government they have no say in. That doesn't really sound good. You can't vote for anybody. You don't have a say in what's going on. It kind of conjures up, and they've even mentioned this in some of the early documents. 
Are we just uh, uh, subservient, uh, tribute-paying slaves? Is that all we are? Right. So that, that's that's the whole start of the argument, which is you know funny, big picture. <laughs> this is where the taxation without representation is tyranny, where all of that came into play. And up until this point in time, the colonies were not really being taxed by the British government. They were taxes being um, collected, but it was mostly for the for the locals, for the local uh, needs, and not being sent home to uh, to England. So now for the first time, England's on its face financially. They need to raise money to pay off some of the debt from the French and Indian War uh, or the Seven Years' War, depending on which way, which continent you want to be standing on. Uh, so they decide that they're going to uh, come up with this thing called the Stamp Act. And the Stamp Act is basically uh, taxes on uh, the imports coming into the colonies. Well, you, you kind of alluded to something a second ago. So let me just backtrack for two seconds on you. Yeah. You hinted at this already, and I think the people are going to enjoy knowing it. The uh, two editors of the uh, Boston Gazette paper are right. Ben Eddies, E-D-E-S, and uh, James Gill. The two of them are also founding – they're big, big fans of Sam Adams. They enjoy Sam Adams. They enjoy right. Sam Adams the same way a Patriots fan does on Sunday well, at 1 o'clock. They're using Sam Adams as their uh, their uh, editorial – Oh, he's the star writer. Yeah. up at a page, if you will. It's kind of how Ming uses us to, to champion <laughs> the studio. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But the Boston Gazette has these two publishers who are members of a little group. I mean, um, we can stop that if you want. It's a, <laughs> Kuna, you're part of this. What are you talking about? Uh, the two of them were also founding members of this uh, a, a, you know, a peculiar group of men that hang out in taverns, a little uh, crew called the Sons of Liberty. I was going to say the American Loser podcast. Very cool. We also do hang out in taverns. I will say this, though. The Sons of Liberty, uh, if I recall correctly, they are a motorcycle gang loosely based around Shakespeare's play Hamlet. They have very cool <laughs> starring jackets. Hellboy. Yes. Very cool jackets. No, they are uh, – they're a group. They're, they're talking uh, – uh, they're doing a little rabble rousing. We're going to go Irish on this just because that's what we are. But they're going to talk a little treason in the back room there, maybe have a couple of ciders. Yeah, they're, <laughs> the Sons of Liberty uh, really get their start with this secret organization, which was uh, the, the Secret Nine kind of a thing, that there was a very small group of more predominant uh, guys within Boston and within Massachusetts that decided, hey, this is bullshit, that we're going to get taxed, that this, this uh, uh, Stamp Act that the British – that Parliament is – putting on us is is bullcrap and we're going to it's destroying the liberties uh of America with as one blow kind of a thing so they get they start pumping this whole thing up but they start as this small select group and it quickly grows into this thing called the Sons of Liberty. Yes. Now, Kahuna, we said Fight Club earlier. Here's your Fight Club. There's your, Here we there's go. your A lot of you club. have been talking about the Sons of Liberty. <laughs> and uh, this whole thing. Now, the Stamp Act was opposed by all of the colonies. Well, prior to the Stamp Act, that's why I wanted to stop you for a sec. Mm -hmm. um, Adams is writing these frequent letters that uh, are – they're not just aimed at attacking parliament and maybe even starting to casually say some bad things about the king, which is still a little bit of a faux pas at this time. He likes to piss off the local folks here on the, this side of the Atlantic too, like a guy by the name of uh, you know uh, Hutchinson, who's the lieutenant governor of Massachusetts. Yeah. He actually he, asks people, why are they being taxed to pay this guy's salary? What the fuck's going on here? I mean, one second. It sounds like any political argument you've ever heard before, right? Why are we, you work for us. We're taxpayers. Yeah. There's a thing called the Sugar Act that's going to come in first. The Sugar Act is going to piss off Adams quite a bit. And like you said, Dad, that's where taxation without representation is going to come to a head. Adams ironically asked in his essays, 
what are we doing here? Are we nothing more than tributary paying slaves? Are we the scum beneath your fingertips? And you only, you guys only seem to care about us when it's time to collect. Yeah. So how about a little bit of a courtesy here? Have we heard that before? So now you got <laughs> the Stamp Act, baby. Yeah. So in 1765, uh, uh, Parliament passes this Stamp Act. And there's this group of, uh, uh, what do you want to call them? Radicals or uh, <laughs> radicals? <laughs> radicals, or uh, do you want to call them uh, free thinkers, or uh, you know, whatever? But Antifa's uh, just an idea, man. Yeah. Um, so when this tax is first imposed, the British government appoints uh, different um, stamp stamps would have to be placed upon imports to say that you paid the tax. So they appoint these guys who are going to be the, the stamp hander out or the stamp distributor. Um, he's a, he's a, a government official type of a thing. And in, uh, in Boston, uh, the, the Boston merchants, along with these uh, Sons of Liberty, send a letter to the guy who was appointed by the crown, this guy, Andrew Oliver. He's the newly appointed official collector of stamps, all right? Um, and the group informs Oliver that he was to show up the next day at noon at what became known as the Liberty Tree in the city's south end to publicly resign. <laughs> if hey, you congrats on your new job. Show up tomorrow to quit in public or else. Yeah, or else. Now, they, they just left it to uh, Mr. Oliver's imagination of what that or else might be. Um, Provided that you comply with the above and you shall be treated with the greatest politeness and humanity, the letter explained. Uh -huh. The message left to Oliver's imagination what terrible fate might befall him if he didn't comply. Well, uh, Oliver didn't need much persuading because you can, you can kind of sense the overriding feeling within town as to how this whole stamp act <laughs> is really going. poor wife. Honey, how was right? your first day? Well, we're moving. Um. <laughs> he appeared as demanded walking through the streets of Boston in a driving rainstorm and quit his job to the cheers of a crowd of about 2,000 people. Now, 2,000 people in Boston at the time, I mean, that's a huge freaking crowd. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're, filling, you're filling the stadium if uh, you got 2,000 people. And what they do is then take, uh, uh, they hang Oliver's in effigy. In other words, they string up a dummy and hang Kahuna him. Kahuna just exhaled. He goes, oh, oh, thank God. I was like, wait. <laughs> okay. Okay. He, he did what, he did we what asked, they said. Yeah. We didn't go dark yet. <laughs> yeah, we, not, not quite yet. I was like, here's um, where it turns into the Halloween episode. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they, hang, uh, they hang him in effigy and uh, that tree that they hung him in effigy from then becomes known as the Liberty Tree. So, you know, they're they're firing people up here for sure. I believe um, things get so ornery that uh, his house is actually broken into and destroyed by a mob, no? Yeah, that uh, they, they break into his house anyhow and destroy the house. They ransack the house. Uh, um, and not only Oliver, the stamp collector, uh, the stamp guy, the revenue collector, um, but they also break into Hutchinson's house, the lieutenant governor of uh, of, of Massachusetts, and they ransack uh, his house the as well. The lieutenant governor. <laughs> yeah. Number so, two in the, the colony. You know, the are, we, uh, are we scaling the walls of the Capitol building? No, that was a different insurrection. But uh, <laughs> We're not storming know, the Bastille yet. That comes in a couple of uh, – yeah, yeah. That, that's about 50 years away. Um, but anyhow, the, the, the Sons of Liberty are the ones that are really uh, blamed on all of this. But – 
um, many people suspect that the real instigator, the real brainchild of this whole thing is our own Samuel Adams behind this this whole thing. That right. he's, he's who's to blame for the riots. He's rising up. He's rising up the people. And that is where Sam's wild history will come into play because, again, this is uh, – Sam's really fascinating because I would think a guy who's part of the inception of the country, he's got to be one of the first Americans that ever has this uh, handle of uh, revisionist history applied to him because – and you'll see why. Because it's for political gain or it's also the uh, history is written by the winners thing. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on over here. But Sam Adams, depending on who you're talking to and more importantly when you're talking to – Adams is possibly uh, the man who controls the mob of the city of Boston, that they they dance uh, he like a, a knife on his fingertip that he just kind of manipulates around. When he decides to drop it, you better fucking move your feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, so, the, uh, he's the gang leader of the, of the underground. If or, yes, is he the supreme minister of propaganda that will influence the normal folks to act via misinformation or inflammatory comments? Oliver! Come out to play! <laughs> oh, perfect. Uh, Wait, yeah, and we he, have the three bottles too. We should. Oh, that would have worked. That would have worked. Wait, uh, pass me an empty bottle if you got improvised one. Improvised line. Actually, go ahead. Do me a favor, LP. I'm, I'm popping a top here for old Cahoons. We're sending another one down his All way. Right. We'll pass it on right. down. Can oh do. God. Can do. Now, the Sons of Liberty uh, is not just in in Boston, though. There's there's branches. There's of, charters. <laughs> there's char, charter organizations. Sons of Liberty. I'm a nomad there from you go. Jersey. There you go. We're uh, we're taking this. Uh, we're taking this on the road, but you know, in Rhode Island, in New, in New York, uh, it, it, it's a lot of people are, are are ticked off about how dare you? You don't have the right to uh, you know to tax me for the first time and sending that money back home to uh, to England, and you know, so things things are definitely heating up, um, but nowhere is it worse worse than. Uh, in and around Boston. I mean, that's... Oh, it's the same. Because Philadelphia, totally Tory central, right? New York, relatively Tory. Jersey yeah, because, is a third. I, I always thought this was cool. They said Jersey was split into threes. You had a third of the population of Jersey was Tories that would support the crown. A third were into this idea of liberty and independence and, you know, home rule, if you will. Right. And then a third said, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really care. North, just, Central, and South. Yeah, can you guys just leave me alone? It's well, listen, we're trying to handle this pork roll Taylor Ham thing right now, and it's you know that's taking all of our attention. <laughs> By the way, uh, important to note here, 1766. Th there are successes that Sam's having here. It wasn't like that they just kept getting rebuked at all times, and that war was the only way through. Uh, these guys considered themselves Englishmen. They truly did. Yeah, right. Absolutely, they're they're Englishmen, but. And the, the idea was, well, let's let's make things better. We'll work within the system here. And then once it's revealed that the system's ugly, uh, you know, hand is going to come down with a hammer in it, uh, that that's when things started to change here. But in 1776, the Stamp Act actually gets repealed. Adams will publicly thank British merchants for their help in that cause. He will continue to hold political offices. He's actually wildly popular now, more than he ever was. Right. And he now has uh, under his tutelage a very powerful new ally. Uh, the richest man in Boston. You want to guess who that is, Cahoons? Uh, He's a founding father. Very, very famous man. All right. You'll know him. Um, I don't want to guess. Well, I mean, uh, you know, you, you've probably seen his signature before. God damn it. Really big. Like if somebody asks you to sign your name, put your... John Hancock. There, there it is. There you go. Herbie Hancock. <laughs> Herbie Hancock. <laughs> 
Yeah, the, no, uh, <laughs> I got him. He spilled a beer. <laughs> Party foul. There was a there was a, a lot of name easily recognized names within this uh, Sons of Liberty kind of a thing. John Hancock being one of them, uh, who also had the you know the big flamboyant signature on a little document that later became known as the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, there was John Hancock. There was um, Paul Revere. Paul was- Revere. Uh, Dr. Benjamin Rush. There was a uh, a guy, Dr. There was Tony Warren. two times. He's going to go get the papers, <laughs> get the right. papers. He's a good earner, though. He's a good <laughs> earner. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there was, uh, you know, a lot of the names that might be recognized later on, uh, they're, they're large and in charge in this whole thing, and they're, they're beating the drum. But the Stamp Act is repealed, and that makes Samuel Adams – and John Hancock and some of these other guys. Well, you see what happens when, when Rocco with, fought City this, Hall and this, he won right, too. Right. I fought the law on the well, we won. Sam Adams won, baby. <laughs> it's it. So it's so, a good one there. They they do win that one. However, what do they counter with, Dad? Well, the the uh they the crown, a the crown says, Yeah, okay, we're gonna repeal that, being it's so uh so hugely unpopular. Yeah, you didn't uh, like a punch on the nose. How about we just casually, maybe slowly jab a knife into your side? Yeah, but then over a, a, a new guy, a new guy, a new politico comes in, uh, in over in England, a guy by the name of Townsend, and he starts up this whole uh, um, Townsend Revenue Act, where now um, we're going to be taxing tea, glass, paper, paint, tea being a biggie, because you know. Imagine going through life without Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. Well, back in the day, they were, uh, you know, everybody's drinking tea. And there was a kind of like a monopoly on whose tea you were allowed to buy. And that had to be coming from the East India Company, which was a British. It wasn't a British political thing. It was an independent uh, firm, if you will, um, but it was heavily favored by uh, by Parliament that you did business with the East India Company, the preferred vendor of yeah, tea, right, right. <laughs> the empire. There, there you go. Um, so um, now we got this new this new Townsend Act, and there's more shit that's being taxed, and of course that didn't really go along very well, and what. What and Parliament they were more quiet did. about this one too, where this one quietly snuck. So you couldn't, like we said, the Stamp Act is this big thing. Like, hey, by the way, you got to do this. And that's going to get everybody up against you, up in arms immediately. Right. This one was more slow and quiet and people didn't really know how to respond to it at first. That's why it took a while for um, the detractors to actually figure out what it is that's going on here. Well, hey, well, this is some bullshit. Yeah. You repackage the bullshit. Right. Right. And it, and it was, um, you know, Parliament did repeal the Stamp Act, but they didn't say, "All right, we're not." You, you're right; we don't have the right to tax you guys without representation. They never came out and said that shit. They just said, "All right, we're going to repeal that, but here's some brand new taxes for you that, that we still have the right. We still hold the right to." That was the key too. to to ta- tax you guys because now you can create a precedent for the colonies to be taxed. And you know how when you get taxed for the first time, it just stays the same price and it never goes up. There's never new taxes. Government you know? subsidy. You know what I'm talking about here, guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Sammy organizes a boycott of this once he starts figuring stuff out. Sammy's a learned man. Um, yeah. He, and and, and uh, let me just throw in here too, this, this, this East India Company, again, they were independent 
contractors kind of a thing, but it turns out that parliament enacts laws that um, the only tea company that you're, the, the colonies were going to be allowed to buy their tea from officially was the East India Company. That was the only people that you could, you could um, buy from. So they had a complete and total monopoly on all of the colonies, legal, legally anyhow. So, I mean, that's where whole um, your smugglers went crazy because the East India Company wasn't the only people on the planet that was selling tea. You know, there was the Dutch and there was a lot of other people that would happily supply you stuff, but it would have to be smuggled in because it was, uh, you know, it was, it was illegal to buy somebody else. Yeah, it's contraband. It's, it's kind of like, are you going to be buying your dope from the dispensary or are you going to go and buy it on the black market? Uh, you know. Which one's more fun? <laughs> which one's more fun and which one's, what's the price? Um, so the smuggled tea was was cheaper than than paying uh, what the going rate for the East India Company was. Um, and the East India Company was was struggling financially. So Parliament is lifting them up, boosting them up by enacting this law to saying, okay, you colonists, you have to buy your tea from the East India Company. Just by coinky dink. Now, this is just simply by circumstance. There was a lot of members of parliament who also had a financial interest in the East India Company. Who, who would have thought Wait that, a right? Yeah. Who would have thought that? Hang you mean on. their shareholders? Oh, no, that would never happen. <laughs> Yeah, that that is really what uh, what it turned out to be. So people were in, were outraged over this because the tea is the most popular drink, if you will. Um, and now you're telling me I have to buy it from this East India Company, which is going to be more expensive than buying it from the Dutch or whoever. And um, now you're gonna you're gonna tax it. Um, you're creating this monopoly. It did not win any uh, any favor with a lot of the colonists. That uh, this is bullshit. That we're being forced to buy uh, more expensive tea, um, and as these oh, and it's also pissing off the colonial merchants because there was a complete monopoly with the English merchants that they could deal directly with the colonies. That there used to be a middleman. The American colonist merchants were the, would be the middleman, and they were cut out of the deal completely by by parliament enacting this whole thing. So you're pissing off not only the little guy who's trying to buy tea at, at a decent price, you're also um, um, upsetting the, the, the merchants, the salesmen, the, the distributors on the, on the American shores. And they're trying, before we get to the big um, kind of moment that becomes synonymous with Sam Adams, before um, we hit that, they are trying to go through other avenues here. So for instance, Sam organizes a boycott and the Boston Assembly, along with support from other colonies like Pennsylvania, would join in an effort to rid the colonies of the Townshend Acts, right? The Assembly will write to the king asking for it. This is my favorite part of the whole story. I'm so excited <laughs> to say this. The Assembly writes to the king asking for help. Like, hey, you know, your lordship, uh, your, your your sovereign monarch, can you yeah. – could you possibly – I mean, this is bullshit, right? Look, see what's happening over here? You see this shit? And – uh the assembly again writes him. The governor will then intervene after being instructed by Lord Hillsborough. If you want to heal, Lord's Hill, he's the secretary of the colonies. That's his title. 
he manages all the people that they don't really count as part of the British Empire, but have to pay tribute. So Lord Hillsborough, that, that's your villain in this, if I had to pick one. Um, Lord Hillsborough orders them. Uh, he tells the governor, he goes, anybody who tries to send this letter out, that this large letter that's going to get sent out by all the different colonies, this pan-colony idea here, mm-hmm. um, if they do that, you just dissolve their assemblies, right? So you just get rid of their their voice in the government at all. You make it illegal for them to even have a voice. So we're just going to get rid of that little, yeah, you know, your group that you use to try to have a say in things. Yeah, we're just going to make that. We're going to re- we're going to revoke we're going to revoke your charter, Deltas. Wait, that's, that's what right. the, that's what the Lord was trying to. That's well, what he instructed the governors to do if it should happen here. Now, Adams, uh, and this is again, this really is my favorite part of the whole story. I have so much respect for him after this. Um. He orders the dissolution of the assembly if they don't take back their letter. Adams claims the right to petition as just cause, why they should be able to have a letter. And the assembly overwhelmingly voted in favor of telling Lord Hillsborough, say hello to your mother for me. (laughs) Really? So they say, fuck you, we're sending the letter. And then they send another letter that says, oh, by the way, King, can you get rid of this fucking governor asshole? We can't stand him. He's such a jerk. Get him out. Because, you know, we didn't elect him. You appointed him and uh, he's not representing us. It is the greatest mass hole moment of all time uh, for me. It really is. It's just (laughs) such a great, beautiful moment here. And the governor, he doesn't take too kindly of that, as you uh, would imagine. And uh, what's he do? He go ahead and he dissolves the assembly. So these new taxes are found to be largely unenforceable, though, because now you've gotten rid of the government body. Well, if you get rid of our voice in the streets, then we're just not going to recognize your rule of law, right? So we're going to yeah. – you get in the cold shoulder, kid. Right. That's it. Right. And you, it's uh, not just – You're Ben McAdoo and you just benched Eli Manning. Yeah. And it's not just uh, it's not just tea that they're pissed off about. It's a glass and paper. So any any document basics. any document would have to be, have a text. What? All the basics, <laughs> All the he basics. said. All the basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right. Um so yeah, and and uh, another, th- I mean Samuel Adams is really being a, a pain in the ass to the to the uh, appointed governors and that kind of thing because he's he's pointing out different stuff that was totally um, slanted um, against the colonies that you know he's he's pointing out the inequity of of this whole thing and he's command he's saying you know what. Screw those British merchants. We're just going to boycott their stuff. We'll we'll deal with smuggled goods or whatever. We're just going to boycott your product. You don't want you want us to buy your tea. Screw you. We're not buying your tea. We're going to go someplace else, as far as the paper and everything else, and even even to the beer. And now it just so happens Sam Adams is uh, this. Uh, you know he he's he's a malter. He's providing some of this stuff. So he's putting into the paper, advertising the paper. He's offering strong beer and malt for those who incline to brew it themselves. So it's like be American, buy American. Kind <laughs> oh, of thing. he's a genius. Screw those. Screw that uh, British stuff. We'll we'll take care of our our own here. So basically, we'll... he said, "Fuck you and your tea time." Right. Pretty much. <laughs> there you go. I, I like it. Yep. And uh, you you want to tax us on some other stuff? Well. Screw you. Instead of buying British beer, we're going to be um, brewing our own. And Unfortunately, uh, that does lead to escalation, though, because like we said, these new taxes are largely unenforceable. So what are the local authorities going to do? Hey, they're not listening to us. So we're going to have to uh, call on the big guns here. Boston Harbor, May 1768, a 50-gun royal warship called the, I kid you not, 
the HMS Romney. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> the HMS Romney arrives. So uh, it's about as welcome as a lobotomy from Jameis Winston. <laughs> <laughs> you know, could be perfect, could be thrown to the other side. We don't oh, know. No. Yeah. The gunship captain immediately makes enemies. I mean, you're already showing up. You're a warship in Boston Harbor. There's some stuff brewing anyway. Uh, the last thing you want to do is start flexing your muscle unnecessarily here. And in total wrestling heel move, they actually start impressing, and not the good way, impressing meaning to force the service, force into the service of um, local sailors are getting pretty much kidnapped and hijacked and told, hey, uh, you work for us now. So that Who whole sent the Romney? Uh, that's actually going to be sent technically by the crown, but I believe it's Lord Hillsborough that dispatches it. So yeah, it's, it's British British naval forces send in the, this uh, warship into Boston Harbor to kind of uh, you know a little saber rattling that uh, you guys yeah. want. And then they're going to show guys want to play games by uh, by you know uh, with your stamp collectors and that kind of stuff. We'll we'll show you a little something. Well, all hell is going to break loose. It's already a tense moment here, but all hell breaks loose when custom agents, custom agents. Right, people putting kind of similar to the the snap distributor. Right, they're going to be taxing goods coming in and out of the harbor over here. Um, yeah, a, a, a customs agents are going to seize a ship called the I shit you not. The ship is called Liberty. <laughs> the custom agents are going to seize Liberty. Okay, which was owned by I shit you not, Teddy Mother. I'm kidding. It's not him. <laughs> But it's pretty good too. It's pretty good. The Liberty, the ship that's being seized by the custom agents now, is owned by the one and only. We mentioned him earlier, Kahuna. He's got a big old signature. John Hancock? John Hancock's boat is now seized. He's a very popular man in Boston because he's aligned with all the right people. He's hanging out in the taverns with old Sammy. They're getting, yeah. you know, they're tying so a few on. The custom agents uh, seize a ship that's owned by John Hancock. And the idea is that, you know, he's smuggling in contraband um, that's he's trying to evade the taxes and stuff. So uh, these custom agents are going ashore. Meanwhile, the, the, the governor, this Hutchinson, his two sons are some of the custom, they're, they're appointed custom agents as well. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's all in the family kind of a thing. And this, this whole thing is up and down the, the seaboard. It's not just in Massachusetts. Um, this tea is being sent over. And um, they're being refused to even to uh, to dock that they don't want that stuff coming off the, off the ship. That if it doesn't come off the ship, nobody's going to buy it. So, or and meanwhile, ship ships captains are losing money. The merchants who own the tea are losing money. So it's a it's a it's a real shit show financially um, with this. But you know, there's uh, <laughs> there's some really strong feelings going on. About to send you, uh, set you up for success here, good sir. When you said all in the family, the first thing that popped in my head was uh, the crazy things that Sam would say <laughs> about the monarch so far away. <laughs> Can't believe he got away. Those were the days. <laughs> oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> Only you could do that on the fly. Oh, That's solid. <laughs> The uh, the governor, mind you, is going to request military aid in order to restore Boston. He's saying it's out of control here in Boston because a riot breaks out when they try to seize that ship. When the, the, the sailors from the Romney try to seize the Liberty, mm -hmm. a riot breaks out and everybody goes, things are – it's thin ice over here. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you're just getting the reports of that over in England, you're thinking Boston's crazy. It could erupt into violence at any moment here. Is this like a, a Sodom and Gomorrah kind of a thing? What's going on? And then it actually turns out that 
Um, they're actually pretty normal, calm, complacent, logical people. You're just being a dick. <laughs> so the governor requests military aid to restore order in Boston and Lord Hillsborough, of course, Lord Hillsborough, who I don't even know if he ever made it to America. I didn't find that. He sends four regiments of British troops into Boston. You know what will quell the violence over there? More aggression. That's right. <laughs> Against the wishes of the governor, the Boston Assembly uh, will officially, con unofficially convene rather because they attempt to officially convene and the governor does not allow it. And uh, where are they going to convene, Dad? Uh, Fun little place. I believe the old South Meeting House. Uh, Faneuil Hall. Oh, Faneuil Hall. Okay. Yeah, Faneuil yeah, Hall. Good place to have lunch. There's a couple of good spots over there, right? So Faneuil Hall to discuss the news of troops on their way to good old Beantown. The assembly writes a letter claiming troops are unnecessary in Boston because the rule of law is being upheld. We're just we're having a disagreement. We're not having a fight. Okay. Right. Me and my girlfriend are raising our voices at each other right now, officer. No one's thrown a punch yet. Okay. But you send it in the troops, that's gonna rile some people up. Oh yeah, yeah. You you show up and you start arresting people, that's when you know things get a little bit extra wild. So uh, the assembly will write this letter. Like I said, Sam actually agrees with the message, but this is why I love Sam Adams so much, man. He goes, uh, I agree with the message, but I don't really like all the pussyfooting wording that we used. <laughs> yeah. You know, like let's not try to pretend that they're being anywhere near reasonable here. Let's let them know. And again, this is where historians begin to differentiate in their telling of Sam Adams' ideas. Some say the arrival of troops in Boston is when Adams gave up on reconciliation with England, and uh, that begins his kind of war path towards liberty. Others argue that he was scapegoated by revisionist histories, who were uh, historians rather, who were eager to repair relations with England. Right. Because years later, yeah, they're like, oh, well, you know, it's really Sam Adams was just the big asshole. Ever. Really, we always liked you guys. It was just Sam Adams, yeah. man. He and you know what it was? He would lie to people, and he would use his podcast and his platform, and he was you know, he was really hate speech when you think about it. Um, but it seems, based off of the uh, the little uh, that I've read, Adams doesn't publicly come out for support of independence until after the war had begun. But that does not mean that. Those him and those pesky sons of liberty that are hanging out in the tower. That doesn't mean they're not quietly running things behind the door. Don't yeah. ask me about my business, Kay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me about my business, Kay. <laughs> but now I'm about to set you up for success, Lawrence Patrick, because we're coming up to the big, the main event fight here. Now there's okay. some good stuff afterwards too, but the main event is coming, folks. Yeah, the thing that he's probably most well, there's a predominant in. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a, a governor, uh, the governor of Massachusetts. Uh, the lieutenant governor had his house broken into for the Stamp Acts, right? right? Uh, governor Bernard, he is uh, not a very popular guy over in Boston here, and he hates John Hancock. That's probably why the customs agents seized his ship in particular. Right. Um, You're going to go after the, your number one enemy first, right? right? So he hates John Hancock. Yeah. Meanwhile, he, meanwhile- But he fucking hates Sam Adams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a whole new Sorry, level. Sorry, Mr. Cianci, we're cursing a lot. Whole new level of hate. Um, meanwhile, the governor—they're no longer. You know, he saw what the what the crowd, what the the uh, the rowdies did to the stamp uh, the stamp guy, and also to the governor's house. Meanwhile, they moved to an island in Boston Harbor that's like safe and secure, and he's got all these military around. What do they call it? Did you pick up on what they call it? No, the the island itself? I think, I think it was called uh, uh, Castle Island or something like Some, that. Something along those lines. And what did we rename that as once we uh, took it over? I know. Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sam Adams. It's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> no, they renamed that Ford Independence. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, the castle that those people ran off to here. Okay. So, all right. It's pretty wild. Now, um, like we said, governor- So things are definitely, definitely getting worse. I mean, we're, we're on a slippery slope and it's going in the wrong way here. That uh, you're, you're, they're sending in, they sent in one naval ship. They sent in a couple Four of regiments. regiments. Yes. Um, so what's Sammy do? The pen is mightier than the sword, Dad. So yeah. Sam's going to begin circulating newspaper articles. They will often play fast and loose with the facts. Uh, the stories were of British troops attacking colonists and raping women with impunity. Adams is firmly behind any efforts of getting the Brits out of Boston. Brits out, Dad. Brits out. Brits out. Sound familiar to yeah, our yeah. listeners in Northern Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> there were high water marks for Sam and the boys, though. For instance, on August 1st, 1769... Governor Bernard leaves Massachusetts and never returns. So, yeah, I'm uh, out of here. Yeah, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out, pal. Um, now, things are going to escalate, though, unfortunately, because there's a couple of ill-fated calamities here. A uh, little thing it's going to lead us up to known as the Boston Massacre. Uh, I think before that, uh, I'm, I'm flip-flopping. Was that before our uh, our other party? Uh, Kona, do me a favor and look this up to confirm, but I believe the Boston Massacre took place before the Boston Tea Party. I'm relatively sure of that. I have it as 1770 um, because that, that results in the death Boston of- Boston uh, Massacre, March 5th, 1770. which results right, in the okay. death of- uh, I, I stand corrected. No, just confirm. If you could look up the Boston Tea Party day right, for we me. Got British, we got British- no The Tea Party, 1773. Oh, we're good then. Okay. So, yeah, so- uh, now, Boston Massacre results in the death, because it's the egging on, if you will, of some troops, some British troops, and it's the egging on of those troops um, that results in them firing on the crowd. The cause of who gave the order to fire is still up to debate. Probably just some guy who was trying to be like a prankster, like, dude, you'll be so funny if I scream fire right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five people died. December 16th, seventy seventy three. Thank you, sir. No problem. Um, Meanwhile, there's a lot of out-of-work guys uh, down on the docks, too, because of all this, uh, all these... Uh, embargoes and taxes and everything else that ships aren't being unloaded guys are out of work and everything else so there's a mob outside uh and there's a sentry on duty and it's cold it's uh wintry you know somebody's throwing a snowball or a dirt bomb or whatever and uh uh again like you said kev that there's nobody really knows for sure what exactly happened but the end result was uh, boston citizenry are killed by british troops Five of them, including, by the way, uh, Crispus Attucks. You know anything about him, Cones? Uh, no. He's got, first of all, a great name, Crispus Attucks. Um, he's an African-American fella, and he is actually uh, considered the first uh, African-American to die for the cause of liberty. Yeah, so he's uh, he's in the history books at for sure. At the Boston Massacre, yeah. At the now, Boston Massacre. Spike Lee, listen up, man. That's a <laughs> – That's a that's – a, um, a huge incident. I mean, this is this is British troops firing on British subjects, um, and people are killed over this. This wasn't just some little, you know, punch in the face in in the pub kind of a thing. This was out in the streets. Uh, people are killed, um, and you know, this is where the uh, Samuel Adams detractors would say, "Well, he's just a rebel rouser and a propagandist and everything else," but that whole incident is played up big time. That very famous um, painting, if you will, of the- An engraving, the, really. An yeah. engraving, yeah, <laughs> of the, or the image of that Boston massacre uh, was an engraving that was engraved by not only, not o- only, who, who Kev? Um, um, Paul Revere. Yeah, a guy named after a Beastie Boys song. Yeah. <laughs> 
Paul Revere. That uh, and that is then taken all over the colonies and in, in all the newspapers, not just the Boston. I papers, think in and I can't down. confirm this, but in I believe in in Revere's engraving, he actually has a picture of like a gun sticking out of a window in the like the second floor of a building in the background. That there's some weird conspiracy with that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know about that one. I, now, why do I remember that? Because you took me on the Freedom Trail when I was in seventh grade. Well, there you go. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but those are some of the high watermarks. Now, we're about to set you up, sir, because you know what's coming, folks. You guys know what you're here for. Things have escalated now. That leads to this Boston massacre. We said five people are dead over here. Uh, some historians, as well as contemporaries during the time frame, accuse Sam Adams of egging on the attacks in order to further his agenda of revolution. Yeah, Sam Adams had enough. I mean, he's he's really calling for. You know, he's one of the first to call for independence um, from from Britain, and you know, it's not it's not a commonly held opinion that uh, up and down the entire thirteen colonies that we gotta we gotta split. But he's one of the first to start calling for independence. Well, when the big guy in the South and the Carolinas that was talking about liberty is known as the Sam Adams of the South, I think you know who the big swinging dick is. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, he's he's the nameplate that everybody else is compared to uh, to Sam Adams. But um, there's, again, there's still a lot of people, well, we can reconcile with the king and, you know, if we send another letter and if we, uh, you know, bow and scrape a little more. Well, what better example of that is than the response to the massacre though too, right? So- because what is um, – Sam takes a meeting. I don't know if you knew that. Sam takes a meeting with the governor and he says, well, listen, I need these troops out of here. We got to handle this. You guys wanted to quiet down. Here's how you do it. Um, and Sam goes, you get these troops out of here. Some of the troops do leave Boston. Sam does also want to ensure that the troops that are in question, the redcoats that fired upon this crowd, are going to get a fair trial. And he goes, by the way, I know a great dude that yeah, could defend lawyer. them. You need a lawyer, man? Perry Mason. Yeah. <laughs> well, shout out to your mom there. Um now, he knows a great dude who happens to be a relative of his that's going to serve as the Redcoats lawyer. Kahuna, do you want to take a wild guess who the Sam Redcoats Adams- lawyer? Uh, he's yeah, going to serve the, as the Redcoats lawyer. The British troops lawyer. have fired on the crowd in the Boston he's Massacre. He's going to serve as their lawyer. So you're going to get a Bostonian. Charged. Yeah, a Bostonian born in the colonies, uh, a born a British subject, mind you. Obviously, everyone is at this time frame. But I don't actually know. So it's Sam Adams' cousin. He's going to go on to be pretty famous. John Adams, baby. Really? He be, yep. He's their lawyer? Yep. So the yeah. second president of the future United States will act as the defense attorney for the Redcoats during the Boston Massacre. And the reason being was because they wanted to prove that Boston could handle affairs and the colonies could handle affairs. We're not just some – we're not reckless, wild, frontier people. We have some decorum. We can make sure things get done fairly yeah, we're, here. We're not yeah. – we're, uh, we're not savages. We're not – exactly. We're not savages that we can handle our own affairs here. We don't have to send all these guys back to England and have a trial in England, which is going to be – you know, Take months, totally, years. And, yeah, and totally manipulated. Yeah, that's not going to get can, a fair shake. Yeah. So what would you do overseas? Well, I don't know. Well, yeah. Dad, that works out for him, right? It works out because John Adams, he makes a good name for himself on that. Yeah. Um, he gets actually the, the Redcoats mostly acquitted, I believe. Yeah. And then uh, – and Sam looks good in this. This is actually a good bargaining tool here. Unfortunately, Dad, this is going to lead up to uh, a little thing that I'm very excited to hear you expand on. Well, now, time's passed. I mean, things still aren't rosy here, but we're going back and forth and uh, – um, we still have British troops being stationed in in Boston. We still got the uh, the Navy there, but um, um, 
British Parliament uh, passes this new Tea Act in 1773 to force the colonists to buy their tea from this East India Company. And again, that's still not sitting real well with, with the colonists. No. Well, why would it? <laughs> not, not, even a, not even a little bit. Now, that in question, did that also ban people from making their own or in the, well, in, tea, in the state tea, side? Tea, you, you, can, you, can, you can't grow your own tea in the colonies anyhow. That's, that's something from China and India and that kind of stuff. It has to be from another place. So, okay. But you can certainly buy it from somebody other than the East India Company. Which is a British company, but which it's they also, made a rule that now right, you can't. Right, it's against the law. Wow. So I mean, smuggling is uh, you know starting to become got a, a big long, thing. long history within <laughs> the colonies to evade first to to get around British taxes, and then uh, later on they become privateers and everything else. But um, there's um, Han, uh, John Hancock and and um, John, uh, Sam Adams there. They've made a name for themselves of of firing up the the locals, firing up the crowd with their newspaper editorials and this type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then what arrives into Boston Harbor are three ships laden down with this uh, British tea that um, now has to be unloaded in other um, harbors and other landings throughout the colonies. It was refused that they weren't even going to offload this stuff, that uh, New York and uh, Philadelphia, some of these other uh, towns were flat out refusing. Well, this stuff is now in Boston Harbor awaiting to be unloaded. And there's a meeting at the Old South Meeting House. It's a packed crowd. Now, the Old South Meeting House is where Sam Adams's dad was the big uh, the big cheese. You were about time. to say the big Kahuna. You were so close. <laughs> you were, I, I heard it. It was right yeah, there. Yeah. Well, I had the, he wasn't the big Kahuna. There's only one big Kahuna, but uh, <laughs> damn straight. Uh, he was the big hey, cheese in um, that church. And it, again, it was a, a major meeting place. It was. It had a large capacity for the time um, to handle this overflow crowd. Um, they have this meeting about what's going on with these taxes and uh, the British troops. And, uh, you know, we had the Boston Massacre and this isn't right and we're not being represented. And they're just firing up, firing up the crowd. Well, after that meeting is over, mysteriously, there's an attack by some Native Americans on these British ships that hold. Native this Americans? <laughs> Native Americans. Any particular tribe? How do we know? Mohawks. Mohawks? <laughs> what do they look like? Uh, well, there's... There's guys that are dressed up looking like a Mohawk Native Americans. They board the ship. They crack open these chests of tea and they dump them into Boston Harbor, which now becomes known as the Boston Tea Party, which is huge. I mean, now you're destroying, um, you know, private goods, uh, materials to the tune of in today's dollars. It's probably about a million dollars worth of tea that was dumped into the into the harbor. People are going to get upset with that shit. That uh, these guys are now ransacking public, you know, destroying, <laughs> destroying private property and everything else to the tune of a million dollars, kind of a thing. Well, um, that doesn't sit real well. Again, realize that there's a lot of people, members of parliament, who are um, shareholders, if you will, to the East India Company, who 
ultimately owns this tea. So you're dumping a million dollars worth of tea into the harbor that's coming out of the pockets of some pretty predominant people uh, back home in England. They're pissed. They're absolutely pissed. So what do they do? They escalate. All right, you Boston guys, you want, you want to play some games? Now we're shutting you down totally. They close the harbor. They close har oh. Boston Harbor. So they close Boston Harbor. They send in this guy, General Gage, who is the British Army general, who is now, Boston is now, and Massachusetts is now under military law. Screw you guys. Never mind your yeah. little little local uh, meetings and uh, elected officials and everything else. It's martial law time, baby. Well, to quote Ron Burgundy, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, that escalated quickly. But on a national level, but uh, unless a, you were, you go ahead and finish throughout, up. For throughout me. the colonies, um, you know, like, holy crap. They, the British government, parliament, just shut down one of our colonies and declared martial law. I mean, how dare they? Um, the, to the British point of view, they're thinking that they're going to separate Boston from Massachusetts. They're going to separate because they're the bad guys. What's going on in Boston? They're the they're the the instigators. They're the real uh, large in charge fire fire breathers. So if we cut off the head of the snake, maybe uh, the rest of them will will cowtow and come in, in theory, come into, right? in, in theory. So if you separate. Boston from Massachusetts, separate Massachusetts from New England, separate New England from the rest of the colonies, maybe they'll just kowtow and come under under our direct claw. If we send Only Brady to Tampa Bay and leave Belichick with Sonic, there's a way to yeah. there's a way to stop this, right? Only problem is the rest of the colonies took on an attitude of like, hey, you, you fuck with Boston, you're fucking with the whole trailer park. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's time to get, it's you know, we're, we're rallying together rather than separating and let, you know, let Boston handle Boston's problems. You're doing that to them. Who's to say that you couldn't do it to South Carolina? That's the whole you thing. You couldn't do it to Well, Virginia. look what they're doing up in Boston. We better stop this here in Boston. It's almost like the same thing with that, the Red Scare we've always talked about on the show. Well, look, it's happening over here. You know, it's only a matter of time till it happens here now. So they're really uh, they're entertaining with that one. Um, and by the way, giving the church key over to my father, he's on his second Sam Adams, folks. We're about to get about to get some. It's going to be an, an intriguing new territory we're about to get into. But I will say uh, this: taking note of his fervor, his success in the local uh, politics of Boston, and his increasing reputation as a guy who just gets shit done, Sam is elected to attend and represent Massachusetts. Down at Philly, this little gathering of the five families, we're going to call it a little thing called the First Continental Congress. You know what I'm saying, kid? Hey, hey, hey. You know? We're getting, them all, we're getting all, the, all the families together, and uh, we're going to discuss this as to what we should we get do get all next. the families together. The Adamses. Well. The Washingtons. Right. The Jeffersons. The Jeffersons. <laughs> That's another uh, TV family I was waiting for Kahuna to be all over. Moving on up. <laughs> Moving on up. I'm just sitting here just trying not to sing the whole thing. <laughs> well, uh, Adam's friends, uh, because it, here's a great thing about Sam Adams. He really is such a dude from Boston. He doesn't know how to dress and he doesn't have a whole lot of money. And he's never left really Massachusetts before in his life. So his friends put together some money. They pay all of his travel expenses and they put together a little extra money to get him a sharp looking outfit. To go represent Massachusetts in style. Get that one new suit. Yeah. Picture Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when they put him on the first date <laughs> with the girl. 
Oh, well, the waitress. Yeah. They put well the the girl he's trying to get over the waitress with. Oh with yeah. A, oh, uh, milk steak. Um, Sam promoted the idea of colonial unity while he was down at this first Continental Congress, claiming it to be the only way for change to occur. Sam and his pal, and by the way, Colin Quinn does such an amazing job on this with the um, yeah. the, the, the unconstitutional story, where it was. You know, Boston will get together with New York, and but you want to talk to the, the South, you got to go through Virginia. That's right. All right, Virginia will get your message down to the South. Right. All right, but um, the uh, that Congress will not meet the Second Continental Congress. I should say they're not going to meet until uh, 1775 for the second one. As we all know, as history buffs, the second one's the one that was really good. It is. It does follow um, uh, it, the sequels better than the original. In this particular case, yeah, it was another little incident that took place in 1775 too that kind well, of put the icing on the cake. We're leading to that right now because uh, Sam and his pal John Hancock, who's a little bit of a student of Sam Adams, he really these two guys get along really well with one another. Uh, more on that in a second, but uh, they're going to both be selected to attend the Second Continental Congress, which will not meet until May of 1775. But there were rumors of these British plans to arrest Sam Adams. And John Hancock, that's starting to begin to circulate. That's picking up a little bit of steam over here where it's, yeah, hey, they're, you they're, fall into the hands of the, the British, you might not be getting out of that one, bud. Again, now Gage is in, in charge. General Gage is in charge of uh, of Boston. And, uh, you know, it's under military- Martial law. Martial law. It's under military rule. And, um, you know, there's news coming in, rumors coming in from, the, from outside of Boston that all these colonials are- putting together their militias, which has a long history, long before any of this really started, that the militias were raised to defend uh, the colonies against Indian attack or against the French or whatever the case might be. So they've got a military uh, bearing, if you will, uh, of helping uh, defend themselves. So there's news reports coming into Boston, into Gage, that these colonials are gathering up arms and ammunition for uh, you know the impending fight that might be coming down the road. He also gets word that the two biggest pains in the ass that, uh, <laughs> that um, they have faced, um, because when Gage first arrived, he offers immunity to everybody who, all right, things have escalated and things are getting out of hand. He tries initially to say, all right, we're going to offer immunity to anybody who, you know, um, renounces their allegiance to these to these troublemakers, to these rebel rousers, rabble rousers, and come back. Except John Hancock and Samuel Adams. <laughs> There's no freaking way we're going to forgive those, that those guys are uh, those guys are gonna be um, prosecuted under the utmost uh, to the full measure of the law. But anyhow, he now gets word that Hancock, both John Hancock and Samuel Adams are out in this little place called Lexington. Well, hang on, because I, I heard a rumor that <laughs> they kind of knew that the British were coming for him. So they said, it's not safe to go to Philly right now. So let's instead, and this is this hilarious, that John Hancock goes, listen, I grew up over in Lexington. Why don't we just go crash over there? So Sam and John are going to wind up making their escape from General Gage, who, by the way, it's not exactly decided whether or not uh, Gage was actively looking for them, but if he happened to get his oh, hands yeah. on two of the uh, the rap scallions of the revolution, he's going to make sure that they wind up in cuffs. Yeah, I mean, if uh, they were looking for a Hancock's uh, ship and that was the first to be uh, 
seized, if you will. They're looking for these two guys because they're again they're a pain in the ass. So um, he gets word that um, these two guys, Adams and, and Hancock, are hanging out in Lexington, and that's cool because uh, I'm going to send some troops over there and. and hopefully capture them. And there's also reports that there might be a powder magazine uh, and some other arms and stuff uh, there. So that'd be a great, a great thing that we can capture. Yeah, some we have uh, gunpowder you know, primary and, and secondary <laughs> objectives. Right. Mission, mission one and two. Um, the only problem is uh, all the spies in and around Boston knew that the British were um, going to launch something and that whole thing with uh um, you know, one off by land and two off by sea, hanging a lantern in the North, old North Church and everything mm-hmm. else. And uh, Paul Revere, who was also one of the original Sons of Liberty, sends you know, rides out in, in the middle of the night, the midnight ride of Paul Revere. We all know the poem that uh, he lets them know that the British are, are on their way and uh, um, Hancock and Adams do the skedaddle. But there's a battle that's fought that the first shot of the Revolutionary War is fired on the uh, Lexington Green, so not not in Philadelphia. Yeah, they get warned by Paul Revere, okay, that there's going to be British troops coming, and they wind up barely escaping, and what follows is the start of the entire American Revolution. You can't be more in it than this. <laughs> That's right. All right? Yeah. But the Second Continental Congress is actually going to be steered towards the cause of liberty and independence because now shots have been fired. Now, Bunker Hill's when they started to realize, like, holy crap, this is – we're in a fight, and this is not – we're not – you know, we're not throwing things at each other. We're actually landing punches right now. Right. So shots, shots fired. Um, it, it's serious. I mean, we're, you're throwing lead down range. Oh that, yeah. Well, uh, but Bunker Hill was the the bloodbath over right. on that one compared to uh, Lexington, and the, which could be written off as skirmishes or police actions, depending on how you wanted to write them up. But um, the Second Continental Congress that gets led. There's. I'll be honest. There's a lot of voices that are very passionate and influential about towards the cause of liberty and that independence should actually be our goal. Not reconciliation, but independence. And uh, even future president Thomas Jefferson remarks, well, Adams was the helmsman of the liberty movement. Yeah. yeah. Now, because of the Second Continental Congress, they these guys were traitors. There's no doubt about it. They were traitors. <laughs> yeah, to the British. Okay. They were absolutely traitors. And if uh, it had gone a different way, these guys would have all been hung and we might not even know their names because uh, you don't celebrate people like that. Um, but because of the secret nature of the Second Continental Congress, you can't really attribute, well, so-and-so said this at this moment. You can't have minutes for a right. secret meeting. There was no tapes being- But everybody said, yeah, Sam Adams was just up there making shit happen. Right. Okay. He was passionate. He was logical. Um, he was coercive at times. <laughs> and uh, they even said that this is definitely clear uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Sam Adams had this wild idea, dad, uh, upon the idea of independence, uh, 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 even farther than that. He had this idea. He goes, listen, I don't know about you guys, but uh, we're going to have to have this continental army. And uh, hey, why don't we let that Washington fella run it? Yeah, he, he was the one that he was the one uh, who suggested George E. Wash for George Washington to be the uh, the, the commander of the Continental Army. Okay. And uh, yeah, but when you give that guy a job and he winds up with the nickname Father Washington, yeah. going to go ahead and say it went pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and there was also too that uh, reports were that George Washington showed up in military uniform um, to some of those meetings. So yeah, maybe. Uh, Maybe Sam got the clue that, hey, you know that guy over there in the army uniform? Maybe he'd be good for for (laughs) leading the army. Yeah, like Ron Burgundy with the, uh, he shows (laughs) up with the jazz flute. I'm not prepared to play. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, uh, quoting again, Loserception, Thomas Paine and his common sense works was a, a tool that Sam regularly used here. He will be heavily involved in the revolution. He's heavily involved with the creation of the new American government. He actually winds up – because we are winding down here, folks. We're almost out. Uh, he retires from the Continental Congress as his health starts to decline and he takes a nice relaxing position as lieutenant governor of Massachusetts. Under? His old pal, <laughs> Herbie Hancock. That's right. John Hancock, hilarious by the way. A little footnote in history here. He is the first and third governor of Massachusetts. Did you know that? Yeah. I first saw, and I third. So, um, and by the way, he was thought of to be a, a potential candidate to be a president of the United States, uh, but he wound up not getting enough votes because uh, the votes all went to his other guy, uh, John Adams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the other, the other Adams. That's right. And again, another thing here I thought was hilarious. Um, so talking about the other Adams. Oh yes, how funny! <laughs> yeah. Up until John Adams was the president of the United States. He actually had to announce himself as, no, sir, I'm, I'm John. I'm not the famous Adams that you seek. You're thinking of my cousin, Sam. He's, he's a good time, but he's a bit of a handful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just a little other thing to mention here too. Hancock, like I said, first and third governor of the Commonwealth. He will die during his second term. Okay. His second term as the – he's – you know, second term as a governor, but the third acting governor of Massachusetts. And um, that's going to make his lieutenant governor. Sam Adams, now the fourth governor of Massachusetts, you know, the guy with the arrest warrants out, the <laughs> troublemaker that wrote to the king to get rid of the old royal governor, the guy who possibly ran the old royal governor out of the colony is now like, yeah, I took your job. I took your job. I'm Sam Adams. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> so picture Belushi as the dean of Faber College. That's how I like to phrase <laughs> that one. Well, the credits on that on the... Uh... Um, he's become senator. Senator. Right? <laughs> senator. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. So, and like we said, Sam's so popular during his life. Um, and then the, the, the chaos that comes in is how he's remembered. That's where the loser thing comes in. Cause they definitely scale back on him a little bit here. Uh, the beer business has been very kind to him though. And, uh, I'll say in, in return, um, he's been kind to the beer business because, uh, he sells a lot of beers. There's, it's one of the most, uh, it's an independent craft brewery. It's up in Boston. Hilarious story. My buddy, Matt Wagner, he's a little bit of a beer snob and he likes to go to any town that he ever went to when he was traveling for the military. He'd say, I'll have a, a local. What do you guys have? What, what's the micro brews around here? And he would always try to do that like he had some sort of a palate for it. And uh, he went into Boston into a bar one time. He goes, uh, what's uh, what's local? I'll try the local. He goes, yeah, Sam Adams. He goes, no, 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 no local. And I'm like, yeah, it's from here, you, you fucking nerd. <laughs> yeah. But um, – yeah, Sam will die, unfortunately, as all legends do. He dies, as Kahuna pointed out in the very beginning of this episode, at the ripe old age of 81. He dies in 1803. He is buried in Boston, of course. He's remembered as a patriot, a founding father, a decent logger, uh, a great Oktoberfest, and he's eulogized and lionized as the father of the American Revolution. Lawrence Patrick, anything to say to the people on the way out? No, just that uh, you know Sam Adams Brewer. I uh, I definitely uh, would endorse uh, Samuel Samuel Adams Oktoberfest, um, and it was launched on a, a tip of the hat. It was launched on April eighteenth in nineteen eighty five. April eighteenth happens to be Patriots Day, which we're up in Boston <laughs> and all over. They celebrate uh, the whole first battle of the American Revolution, Lexington and Concord. On the 18th, and uh, you know they started out small, but uh, tip of the hat to the uh, 
to the Koch family who uh, started the whole Sam Adams Brewery um, (laughs) and tip of the hat. And uh, they just kind of like the whole idea that, you know, Samuel Adams back in his day was uh, proposing to the American brewers that, uh, you know, we don't need uh, outside influences. We can we can brew our own quality craft beer. And uh, they they took that and, and certainly ran with it to become one of the most uh, most uh, prolific uh, craft beers uh, today. So it, it's pretty much the they, they set the bar for that one, pun intended. Yeah. But uh, that was a good one. Guys, thank you so much to everyone over at The Founding Losers. You guys mean a lot to us. In about a year or so, this episode will probably come out on YouTube. A bunch of new people will hear it. I wish you would join up with The uh, the Founding Losers. We love what we're doing over here. We do have to make a couple of changes down the road. But we'll get to that when it comes up to it. But for now, we're just enjoying the hell out of this. And we enjoy it because of you. The show does not exist if it's not for you. Amen, amen, I say to you. Well, <laughs> Father Burke with a benediction to end on that one. <laughs> there well, you go. I'll tell you guys what, though. You know the deal. My name is KP Burke. That was my delf of a dad. The kahuna had to leave, so I have to shut this place down on my own. But that was Sam Adams, American Loser. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. <laughs>